This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? BFM 89.9. It is 7.39 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture. It is our supercut and uh, you are, of course, as always with Lynn and Sharmila. But sitting in today for our friend Arvin is our other friend, Cam. Cam Raslan. Cam, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Uh, hello. A pleasure. Pleasure. I'm recovering from COVID, but I'm being oh, very brave. You, you are Cam. Always so brave. That's me. That's me. I know. Brave and then talking about it on air to just make sure everyone knows it. Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Anyways, thank you, our brave friend, Cam, for coming on today to talk about Steven Spielberg. So we're talking about Spielberg in a week where we review The Fablements, which is in some senses, you know, the mythmaker doing his own mythmaking about himself. Yes, um, and and I would argue actually at at probably the only time in his career that he could make a movie like this, right? And I think if you're a fan of Spielberg's films, you will enjoy Fablemans a lot more than if you just went to it cold. Oh, you both you've both seen it. Then. We've both seen it. We reviewed it yesterday, in fact. Oh, oh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up for both of us. Yes, and our thumbs bit. up. Good, good, good. Which leads me to asking you, Cam, overall, um, Spielberg, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, yeah, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Um, even, the, even the bad ones are, are cinematic. I mean, they're, they're, they're just such... Every frame is a movie. Um, so you know you're watching a movie with Spielberg. So it's, it's, always, it's always... I mean, there are some which are a real bit, bit not great. But, uh, you know, when you watch the great ones, they're just in a class of their own. Well, actually, what I realized about Steven Spielberg, looking back at his filmography after coming out of Fablemans and in preparation for today's show, is not how many I remember, but how many I've forgotten were actually Spielberg films. Because he's made an incredible number of films and incredibly diverse types of movies as well. And I think depending on what kind of Spielberg fan you are, you may remember some and not the others. Well, I would go further and say that I'm not sure that everybody knows... um that everybody who's a fan of Spielberg's films know that they're watching a Spielberg movie. And I think that that comes from the diversity of genre and the diversity of story and the diversity of decade. I mean, he's been working for a really, really long time. So I'm not always 100% certain that everyone knows that the guy who did Jaws is the guy who did Catch Me If You Can, that the guy who did Saving Private Ryan is the guy who did Schindler's List. Like, I'm not sure that people necessarily make those connections if you're not, like, a fan of directors and specifically a fan of, like, Spielberg as opposed to the films. 
Oh, I don't know. Unless you're living under a rock, you know you you know that it's a Spielberg movie that's coming out. I'm not sure and whether something like The Color Purple or even the post. the post is something people immediately say, ah, Spielberg. Yeah, actually, I, when I was going through his filmography and I saw The Post and I thought, hey, wasn't that a Ron Howard movie? Right. Um, oh, and it looks like it. Yes, yeah, that actually true. looks like one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is a, there's a certain chop with the uh, Spielberg movie um, that, that's, I don't know, unmistakably Spielberg, isn't there? What do you think that chop is? So I was thinking about it. Like, The Fablemans makes an argument for what it is. Actually, Cam, I think you would really like it uh, as someone who enjoys filmmaking and directing. Like, I, I think that there are some flourishes um, about what made Spielberg Spielberg. But I think it's a lot to do with the framing, right? The framing and, and the, the lengthy takes to me are very Spielbergian, along with the lighting. Yeah, are you familiar with this uh, YouTube channel, Every Frame a Painting? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, um, do check it out if you, if you love movies. And I think he's actually a film editor based in Canada. Um, and so he's done one of his little films about the Spielberg one the the one-shot Spielberg, uh, which he has invariably in every movie. One is because it just helps kind of use up time, production time. But the way he constructs those one-shots where the, the blocking of the actors moving back and forth... He's always on top of the main thing or, or he's deflecting the main thing so that you don't you, you're being sent to a red herring. He's just so damn clever with his um, with his camera work. And so and I do believe that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was just watching Terminal uh, just now, which did not engage me. But <laughs> but I mean, you look at any shot at random and it's it's cinematic. And and then I click over and I watch another movie, just a random movie, and it's it's not. <laughs> uh, I completely agree. I think for me, while I wouldn't express it as technically as you just did, Cam, and thank you for that. For me, it's a uh, going to a Spielberg film. I know I'm in for a movie experience. It's an occasion. Mm-hmm. It's an occasion. It's a cinema film. Uh, you know, you're going to get. A narrative that's going to lift you somehow. You're going to get shots that are beautifully crafted, even with the story of a man trapped in an airport, as you as you just said. There are scenes in that film that your heart sings just to watch. Um, and whether you're watching uh, a, a shark uh, coming out of the water, like with Jaws that we just played, whether it's a dinosaur rising out with the trees in the background, or whether it's something simple, uh, like in the terminal, I think he always brings this cinematic scale to everything that he makes. But can I can I posit though the reason why that that works for him though? Because every single shot is always reinforced by the emotion, by an emotion, mm-hmm. and the emotion. So if we take the classic shot with um, Indiana Jones when he's he's being chased by that giant ball, um, uh, a boulder, I believe they call it. <laughs> I was yeah, boulder. I, I'm well, not I sure. It's it's perfectly spherical. It's 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 designed to crush. But what he does on top of that is he builds in tension. Yes, tension. Oh my God, Indy's going to get crushed. But the cobwebs, he has cobwebs there. So, and they're going across his face. So you, the audience, you're suffocating at the same time. Um, There are insects and then the sounds of, of, of the insects. He's, he's, he's pressing on every sense as best he can at any given moment and emotion um, is the most important one because with, with Jaws, it's the emotion of of the fatherhood that that is um, 
the most gripping and the most terrifying thing is is why he must save people because he's a father. I okay, I'm really glad that you brought that brought that up. Jaws specifically, because we can talk a lot about Jaws. I mean, there's the the technical aspect, there's uh, the problematicness of Bruce and whether or not a young filmmaker was going to be able to pull off this like massively bloated, going heavily over budget summer creation. Um, There's that. But that point you just raised, Cam, I mean, I think that there are people out there who'll fight you on it because there are folks for whom Jaws is just about a shark. It is about like... The whole thing is really just man versus nature. And then there were other people, there will be other people who argue like you did that it's about fatherhood. Others will say it's masculinity. Others will say it's capitalism. Others will say it's about, um, I think I've heard the argument before that it's actually about infidelity, which is a part of the book by Peter Benchley, not so much the film. So um, I, I love that you mentioned Jaws in that light because I think truly for a lot of people, it's a creature feature and that's what it is. And that's okay, right? It's I fine. Mean, yeah, 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 it because is. Because I think the thing, the beautiful thing about talking about Steven Spielberg is you could just love dinosaurs. That's okay. You get Jurassic Park. But if you want to talk about man's hubris, there's that too. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's on top of subtext. But I mean, it's like any great dish, the food that you eat, uh, it's not about the garlic. But, <laughs> but the garlic is absolutely essential. Uh, without the garlic, without the salt... You would not feel. You would not taste any of these great dishes, and and he needs to, because many of the things that we're talking about that could be a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> sure. Yes. You know. This so is what true. is distinguishing Spielberg from Michael Bay? Trash. By the way, by, by the way, we're all in agreement. Michael Bay trash. Uh, um, you know, it's because he. He doesn't work in. Well, I was going to say he doesn't work in cliches. He kind of does, and maybe he's created those cliches um, of the the child. It's always the child looking for a parent. Mm. Um, and Ooh, which, if you watch the Fablemans, you'll understand why. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, I. You know, you. you I've not seen ET, but because I don't, I don't want to be exposed to that much radioactive um, emotion. <laughs> and sentimentality and sentimentality mm. um, because I know he can do it so uh, let's see Rice and Fishball says Jaws the most hated movie by marine biologists all over the world as it maligns the great white shark um, E.T. the extraterrestrial Indiana Jones Schindler's List and this was in response to a question that we're asking everybody what is your favourite Steven Spielberg movie but I would extend that to ask whether you know whether you even enjoy his films or if you have least favourites we want to hear them as well you can send them our way that number to WhatsApp is 018-789-8899 tweet us at BFM Radio. Our next clip uh, is a favourite that we've talked about a lot, we've thrown back to, and that Mr. Donut also cites as a favourite. Here is a little bit of Jurassic Park. It's it's a dinosaur. Uh (laughs) It is. You're crazy, son. You did. this terrible little book on it. Cold bloodedness, it doesn't apply. They're totally wrong. This is a warm bodied creature. <laughs> this thing doesn't live in a swamp. This thing's got what, a 25, 27 foot neck? Rack, you saw a 30.
Fringe-friendly movies. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Our orders are to bring you back. Bring me back. Corporal Henderson, I uh, don't mean to leave you even more shorthanded, but orders are orders. Uh, any communication in that when you're going to be relieved up here? Sir, there's no way to tell. I mean, we have no idea what's happening south of us. I have my orders, too, sir. They don't include me abandoning my post. I understand that, but this changes things. I don't see that it does, sir. The chief of staff for the United States Army says it does. Sir, our orders are to hold this bridge at all costs. Now, our planes in the 82nd have taken out every bridge across the murderette with the exception of two. One at Valone and this one here. We let the Germans take it. We're going to lose our foothold and have to displace. Private, your outfit wants to stay. That's one thing. I can't, your party's I, over here. Sir, I can't leave until at least reinforcements You got here. three minutes to gather your gear. Sir, what about them? I mean, there's barely hardly... Two of our guys already died trying to find you, all right? BFM 89.9 at 7.52, and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Cam. Our supercut tonight is all about Steven Spielberg, he of Jurassic Park and Jaws, and of course, Saving Private Ryan. We want to hear what are some of your favourite Spielberg films, or even least favourite, and why. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. So I was late to the Saving Private Ryan party. Um, when it first came out, I didn't catch it in the cinema which I regret now. And um, I didn't necessarily get the hype, and I think that had a lot to do with my reticence towards war films for a time. I watched it fairly recently in the last five years, and I was I was going to say blown away, and then I realised that just sounds incredibly insensitive. Um, I, I was really kind of amazed by the film. I'm almost the opposite. I watched it when it first came out, loved it, uh, but didn't necessarily think it was... Uh, but as time went by, I don't think I have a lot of attachment to it. Uh, perhaps not in the way that I have to his other Oscar-winning film, Schindler's List. It's a very List. male film. Perhaps. And mm. I think I also tend to find it difficult to revisit war movies. Uh, I think I think actually the, the, the bulk of Spielberg's movies are very male. Um, yes, that is true. <laughs> I, I don't think there's... Um, his female characters are very much a, a, a set cliche. The mother burdened with children uh, <laughs> saying don't go Johnny be safe out there um, and uh, yeah I no, I mean I I, I watched um, Saving Private Ryan enjoyed it I think it's a companion piece with Band of Brothers though which he produced um, and it's um, which in many ways I think I preferred but uh, <clears throat> what, what kind of got me was that um, everyone was far too old in that movie uh, a captain in the army at that time would have been, say, about 28 years old. Tom Hanks was like 42 or something. Mm. He was far too old. And, um, and and that's something that we do find in American war movies time and time again. The actors are always far too old. So you feel like it's an old man's war. Um, but it was just kids. And uh, and I, I kind of resisted watching it again, especially now with the, the war in Ukraine. It just feels like, you know, bad taste to be watching a, a war movie. <laughs> Cam, can I ask though, and, and this has nothing to do with Steven Spielberg at all, but it's to your point about um, Tom Hanks being an aged captain in Saving Private Ryan and even Matt Damon not looking all that fresh-faced actually. No, like, like yes. it's, You're right, they're all a little older. Um, did you watch All Quiet on the Western Front? I did, I did. Because mm. um, it addresses uh, exactly what you're saying. Yes, and dare I say I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a tough one to say. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, but what I what I sort of enjoyed about it was that, and I think it's a, it really does match up with Saving Private Ryan is that the criticism was that was uh, given to, um, to to all this or recent or quiet was that they didn't differentiate the characters. They didn't give a character a backstory. They didn't give a character a motivation. And I'm thinking, I've seen that movie though. I've seen that movie countless times. And Saving Private Ryan is that where every character is given a full, a full story. The whole point of the Western Front was its impersonality. Um, you might catch a person's name, but that's like all you're ever going to know about that person. And um, and and I and I and that's why I appreciated it for that. I don't think Spielberg would ever make a war movie that's not like this, though. Yeah. I feel that this this need to to build uh, characters in a particular way, this need to have all the narrative kind of coming together in a particular way. Um, I mean, I think Saving Private Ryan is a deeply emotive film. Um, I would still recommend it to people um, as an example of the most serious work that Steven Spielberg has done. Um, but I agree. I think that in terms of war films and, and whether it actually represents a reality as such, possibly not. Which, um, it's funny that we're talking about that because I think, let's bring it to a technical level again, because um, while we're discussing the, the casting and the like, I was thinking also about all the stories of veterans um, not being able to continue watching the film because the landing scene was so visceral that it felt like they were back. And this was widely reported at the time. It's still talked about that the way in which they showed the the landing on the beach and the attempt to storm it and the loss of lives, um, all of that felt very affecting. So I, I guess I bring this up only because I don't want to make it sound like a fantastic version of a war when in fact what Saving Private Ryan was touted for was its realism. It loses that along the way, I think, when mm, it hews yeah. to the narrative. But if you talk about the technicalities of shooting war, I think that it it innovated. No, actually, I completely agree. I think, in fact, it's, it's almost a double-edged sword, right? The more cinematic it is, the more you feel when you're watching that you're being pulled into the scene... But somehow that same tendency on the flip side makes it, it's its the opposite of All Quiet on the Western Front, basically. Yeah, but it is, uh, I, I think we have to, to applaud the, the opening. Right. Oh, yes. It, it's it, tremendous. It, it was brilliant and visceral. But as you say, it did break, it did break apart and he went to his um, go-to Americanisms. There was that scene later on when, when, um, Matt Damon. It's discovered that Matt Damon's brothers are all dead. Spoiler alert! And uh, and then the 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 chief of staff or whatever reads a letter. He reads a letter, and at the end of it, he says, "And that was that was Abraham Lincoln." And I was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> I mean, the words were meaningless. Had no connection to anything. You just sort of just attach Abraham Lincoln to it at the end of it, and suddenly it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, let's go and send these people off to die in order to save this guy." By the no. way, this guy also then went on to direct Lincoln. So yes. while, while we're talking about Americanisms, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's certainly present. Um, Legion says, Saving Ryan's Privates was a spoof made by, the uni- made by university students around the time yes, the actual movie was. came out. Yeah, uh, I remember this. <laughs> I remember this. I also remember it popping up on all of those really badly titled uh, NSFW videos that you could find in dodgy DVD shops. <laughs> Well, that's how Spielberg himself started off by making by making these uh, these little movies that were sort of epics, and then of course there's there's the 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 young people who they were young then who made remade shot for shot um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
Yeah. Um, yes, and, I remember and that. that. In turn, was made into a movie. I think. Um, <laughs> Well, we're talking Sorry. about circularity, the, you know, yeah, it's, it's ever yeah. present, uh, which is something that we'll continue to discuss. We want to hear from you. Uh, we're talking about Steven Spielberg, who has made just so many films. Um, do you have a favourite among them? Do you have a least favourite? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Blockbusters for me. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. E.T., can you say that? Can you say E.T.? E.T. 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 Be good. Be good. I taught him that too. Phone. Phone? He said phone? He said phone? Can't you understand English? He said phone. Phone? You're right. That's E.T.'s home. E.T. Home phone. E.T. Phone home. E.T. Phone home. E.T. Phone home. He wants to call somebody. Home. E.T. Phone Home. E.T. Phone Home. BFM 89.9. It is 8.08. You're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Cam. And together, our supercut today is about Steven Spielberg. He of the venerable, very long, very decade-spanning career. Uh, we are asking you for your favourite Spielberg movies and your least favourite, if you want to share. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. And it is at this point that I'm going to turn to Sharmila Ganesan and ask her to defend E.T. Because Cam spoke earlier about the unbridled... Radioactive, I believe, was the word you used, Cam. Was it? Radioactive? Yeah, I, as I say, I've never seen it, but just listening to those clips, I want to start crying right now. So, Cam said radioactive emotion. Um, I'm on record as finding E.T. creepy. So, Sharmila, oh. go. So, I think I watched E.T. at just the right age, right? When you want to be the kind of kid who finds a, a, a friendly little alien in your backyard, and then you take them for a ride on your bike, you dress them up in weird clothes. Um, it, it was, and, and Cam's absolutely right. I cried buckets uh, when E.T. left. It felt like my friend had left me. Um, Spielberg knows how to make these sorts of children's films. You know, I think for him, this is the sweet spot. The big emotions, the simple storyline, but that just hits you with the right gut punch. But he failed with Hook. Hook was an absolute disaster. See, you say that, Cam, but I actually Hmm? have a real soft spot for Hook. Um, When it came out, I loved it so much. And then I was actually flabbergasted that people disliked it. I mean, people dislike it so much that even he, for a time, was kind of embarrassed by it, right? It it was regarded in in many ways as a low point. Um, Weirdly, so I think the thing about E.T. is that it's not actually my childhood. It's a childhood, a generation slightly before me. And so because of that, by the time I watched it, I was like, kind of primed for all the the big moments, the handlebars, the phone home. And and then I watched the actual thing and I thought, 
oh, creepy little thing. Also re-watching it, though, I do realise that E.T. is a lot creepier than I remember. Uh, because the thing about Spielberg is also there's a lot of horror elements uh, in his work. It's strange because things are very warm and cuddly, but then there's also that particular kind of point of view. But Hook, weirdly, was actually my childhood, and I also have a soft spot for it, despite the mm. fact that I can't really rewatch it as an adult. Oh, I've rewatched it and ah, I still love it. Good for um, you. But I, I have a huge, again, I have a huge soft spot for anything Robin Williams as well. And then the fact that I love Peter Pan. So I think there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in it for me. See, I'm, I'm a little bit older than both of you. So my my one would have been um, Close Encounters. Uh, I, I was, oh, right, I, yes. I was at that age with Close Encounters. And, and it's a movie, and I said to Lynn earlier that it's, in memory, it's a really good film. And I've watched it again, I'm quite bored um but but there were, watching it it was it was very scary it's very scary i've um, never rewatched et so or, or rather i haven't oh, as an adult really, really? Yeah, so I, I don't know actually what it would yeah, be like. Maybe uh, don't. Don't. don't <laughs> yes. Often I've thought that might be the best. Here's the cool thing though about Spielberg is that um, a lot of the... Th- you don't have to have seen things to understand the cultural impact. And this, you know, cuts both ways because on the one hand, things get devoid of context in this increasingly moreless world that we live in, the internet, etc., etc. So I, I don't want to necessarily go down that path. But um, I was thinking about the, the theme of Close Encounters, that, that particular eerie series of notes that is mm. the signature sound of that film. I've mm-hmm. never seen the movie. I know it, though. If, if you played it, I would be like, ooh, aliens, followed by, I know that that's Close Encounters. Um, I bet lots of people who do the E.T. phone home finger have not necessarily seen the film. Like, you could also vibrate a glass of water to make a Jurassic Park reference without having again, seen the movie. Or hum the Jaws theme. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or even make a Jaws joke or use the word Jaws to refer to any shark. Yeah, or like, I, you, we're going to need a bigger boat. Things like that. You you don't necessarily need to have seen the film. And it's it's both good and bad, I think. That's a, well, it's a testament to his uh, uh, achievement. But again, it, it has to be the emotion. Um, that That is why it's being reinforced. In in the making of it, um, we're, we're going to need a bigger boat. It was a throwaway line. They didn't actually think it was that that big a deal. Um, it, it was only afterwards that it it really took off, um, because the Chief Brody character is so out of his depth, and I think that we feel like that many ourselves so many times. We are him. We're not the specialists, and uh, and Spielberg. So he made you feel like you were on the boat. You were out of your depth, and. Dear God, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> so um, let's see. We've also got um, both Junie and Kogi bringing up E.T. Uh, Junie specifically saying E.T. phone home, Kogi just saying E.T. So uh, there you go. At least I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought you were, to be fair. Uh, meanwhile, we have Zenhao who has sent in. I have to say, I had to read this a couple of times because Zenhao uses a shorthand that I wasn't aware like people had with... Um, with Spielberg movies. So it's SP Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, Minority R, which I guess is Minority Report. Yes. This is a fun one. Um, S List, Shinless List, CE Third Kind, uh, which, we just, <laughs> yeah. which we just spoke about, and Empire of the Sun. There's a theme with uh, war, actually, yes. in Spielberg's works. Oh, Empire of the Sun is a good one because, um, again, another movie that I loved as a kid, never realised it was a Spielberg movie until I was much older. 
Actually, that was this is where I get an opportunity to say David Lean. Uh, that was actually uh, originally going to be a David Lean movie. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, but then he pulled out. He couldn't get the financing or something or other, and so Spielberg came along and, and made it. And he made it very Spielbergy, but he was also trying to be very David Leany. Mm-hmm. Um, and it so there there are sort of David Lean sequences in it if you if you watch and closely. not the first time he's done that right because with AI he basically took over when Kubrick died died yes um, and so the movie kind of feels weirdly half Kubrick half Spielberg. AI is yeah. another one, isn't it? That that kind of got hooked a little bit in the sense that when it first came out, I don't think people necessarily knew what to do with it. But over time, its reputation has only improved. Yes. Has it? Has it? it actually has, It's yeah. become a bit of a cult classic, people even are, though when it came out, it was panned. People are reconsidering it in big ways. Yeah. Oddly. Really? Oh, okay. Look at you. What about, so, you haven't reconsidered it then, I think. No, I haven't. I mean, is like Ready Player One going to be reconsidered? Uh, I mean, that's, a, that's an we, old man's idea of... Um, of the future, that one. I so I think I enjoyed Ready Player One. Am I going to remember it as one of Spielberg's best? No. Um, in fact, that one has the slight problem of uh, Cam. You know, you spoke early. We, we opened with that idea of the Spielberg signature of there being one of of you know Spielberg films recognizably having his thumbprints on them. I don't think Ready Player One has that personally. It refers yeah. to his films. So, you know, because it does that, you, you get that. But I don't think the film itself um, manages necessarily that Spielberg look and feel. No. That's a very good point. Yeah. Because also it, it had so much of this sort of 1980s um, uh, nostalgia in it. It's futuristic, but it's 1980s. And Spielberg is not 1980s. He is baby boomer, like... 90, born in 1946. Ah, but he it's nostalgia for his 1980s films. No, but he, no, it was the music. There was Duran Duran and everything. I mean, he. I don't think he had any emotional connection to that. He was faking it. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's the point I'm trying to make. I think it was a weird monster baby of a nostalgia for an era that he became popular for. Not even from him, perhaps. I'm not sure what the decision-making was. Well, um, JM says, Sorry, guys. Obviously, he's a prolific filmmaker, but Spielberg has had a slew of not great some terrible movies since the early 2000s, especially Ready Player One topping that list. Okay, that I will contest because I'm sorry, early 2000s also saw him making things like Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can, with Munich, all of which I think are really great films. And Bridge of Spies. Which is a, and Bridge of Spies. My, my favorite. I think my, my favorite, maybe. Ooh, I, I, Cam, I love that film. Hold that yeah. thought because I oh, want to oh, come oh. back and like geek out about Bridge of Spies with you, uh, okay. but we do okay. have a clip. I don't work for the government. I am here to offer my services as your legal counsel. If you accept them as such, I work for you. If I accept you, are you good at what you do? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Have you represented many accused spies? No, not yet. This will be a first for the both of us. All right. All right. You accept? Yes. All right. Good. Okay. Let's start here. If you are firm in your resolve not to cooperate with the U.S. government... I am. Yeah. Then do not talk to anybody else about your case, inside of government or out, except to me, to the extent that you trust me. I have a mandate to serve you. Nobody else does. Quite frankly, everybody else has an interest in sending you to the electric chair. All right. You don't seem alarmed. 
would it help? So that is, uh, I think, possibly the most famous scene from Bridge of Spies, which is a Spielberg movie that is post-2000s and um, one that I really, really love. I, I could rewatch that over and over again. Mm. Um, and I think a lot mm. of it has to do with the, the signature Spielberg stuff that we're talking about, um, both in terms of the the technical aspects of it. That was a very long take. Um, the frequent collaborator, Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance. Um, the the fact that you have Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance kind of acting opposite one another and doing it so beautifully. But then also the, the storytelling themes that do come along with Spielberg, the preoccupation with questions of justice, with fathers protecting their families, you know, with people doing what they have to to survive, things like that. Uh, yeah, and on top of that, I, I would say that... Um Spielberg's a very, he's actually a deeply conservative man. He um, He's a baby boomer, but he was not making Easy Rider or, um, or anything <laughs> that, like, you know, he, he, um, and and in a way, uh, in a way, this, this British Spies me as if the State Department was making a movie in the 1960s. I was sponsoring a movie about how, how we are very humane and and would deal with um, traitors and spies. I, I mean, and Spielberg is constantly making almost like State Department movies. So, um, and, and I, I could watch it again and again as well because it's so stately. But it's um, oh, stately is such a good word for it. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, he puts a lot of effort uh, 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 to make. Something very important that's not important. And I think that's one of the reasons why his movies endure. Because it feels like it's an important piece about spies and stuff. But really, it's, it's really about nothing that's going to affect your life right now. I mean, a shark, it's never going to affect your life. Um, and uh, you name any of his movies. I mean, Hook, we were talking about Hook earlier. He puts a lot of effort into making a, a really splendid thing. But it's, it's of no importance whatsoever. And um, and he so he makes the unimportant important, and that's a movie because we we don't want to keep going to watch um, uh, movies about the issues of the day. We need to get away, and that's what Spielberg is the king of. Oh, that's such an interesting lens to look at his movies through. Um, I've never thought of it, but you're absolutely right. Well, let's uh, bring it back then to one of the most escapist because. Far and away, I think the most popular name, the name that's coming up the most, um, is Jurassic Park. Because, which we played earlier, A.W. says Jurassic Park for the win, fave childhood movie, um, you know, created a fascination for dinosaurs. Danny says, for me, Jurassic Park was the father of CGI on film. I was a Gen X and the dinos were so lifelike and mind-boggling at that time, something the younger generations have taken for granted. Um, Husni says, fave Spielberg movie, Indies, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, proper way to get in an origin story. Story. Um, right. Jurassic Park, best and last animatronic movie, because now we only use CGI. Well, I've always talked about how much I love Jurassic Park and, and how defining it was for my childhood. So I absolutely agree. Yeah, last time I was on this show, Shamila... Um, I was telling Lynn that, that your barely <laughs> concealed disgust. Yeah, we, we talked about Jurassic Park for far too long. For, <laughs> I, I, in okay. my entire life, I think I've done Jurassic Park talking. I w oh, no. oh, please, Cam, indulge me, because I wasn't on the um, show. Um, what's your problem? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't think there's a, a Spielberg movie that I hate. Um, it, I, I, if it was in front of me, I'd watch it again. But it was... Um, I, I just don't rate it as being one of his best. Uh, if it was oh, made I, by I someone else, mm. I would say, oh, that's a great film. That's probably his best. But 
but uh, I don't know. I just I didn't quite. Uh, I don't think even one, I would say it's his best. But it's the one you've watched the most. Yes, but that's because it has rewatch value, and okay. it's it's a spectacle, and it's beautiful, and it has big emotions. Well, I think um, Jurassic Park. You know what it is? It's it's that it does perfectly what it says on the tin. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you, you want a, a thriller, you want a science fiction movie about dinosaurs that also fulfills all the criteria of being a creature feature and having those elements in it. Plus, you get some family drama and the Spielberg kids. Like, it, you know, it's, it's everything that you want out of Steven Spielberg makes dinosaurs. A great cast. A great yeah. cast. Yes, yes. Uh, um, and you can see how much the cast matters because in the subsequent movies, the cast haven't really been that great. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I would, uh, I would rewatch Bridge of Spies. I want to watch it again now, right now. Uh, but um, I, I, he's not the greatest of all time, though. Let's not let's not get too carried away, shall we? Spielberg, are, are we you saying? Mean? Yeah, no. Are we saying that the points that he hits vis-a-vis, let's say, Jurassic Park, etc., the, the the emotional hit, the intellectual hit, artistic hits that you're getting. Are they in the league with the really great films that you've seen? So I think it depends what you define as a really great movie or what you go to the movies for. Okay, that's mm. a cop out. Sorry, I, I'm right? just going to. Well, I'm it's... definitely not going to say he's my favorite filmmaker of all time. But if I were going to pick a filmmaker that I would consistently go to the cinema for, I think Spielberg is one of them. Because he is, I mean, a blockbuster filmmaker. That, that's what yeah. he's become over time. Uh, Cam, to your point, I actually don't think I liked Steven Spielberg very much um, for a long for a long period. And I don't know whether that has to do with thinking that he was a director of my childhood and therefore associating him with making movies for children, um, which I know is an odd thing to say about Schindler's List, it, the, the guy who also made Schindler's List. And it's why I raised the point early on of I'm not sure people are fully aware of the breadth of his cinematography, of his um yeah, cinematography, because I think it depends on where you, you enter and what your kind of starting point with Spielberg is. I certainly don't think that he is, um, you know, an, an all-time great, but I think it's very, very hard to contest the the cultural footprint and filmmaking legacy he's had. Because now when you watch films, like, I, I think it's very hard to do a movie about a group of children in any capacity, like going on some sort of adventure without yeah. having Spielbergian flourishes, for instance. And like nobody can do a dinosaur film or a shark film, really, without having the beats of Jurassic Park and Jaws. Yeah, Stranger Things wouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly that. Yes. So maybe not, you know, I don't think we're arguing for greatness, but I think we are arguing for um, for greatness in terms of footprint and capacity and, and legacy. Actually, to echo something Cam said earlier about, uh, did you say, I don't want to misquote you, but you did say there isn't a Spielberg film that you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, by that measure, because looking back at his filmography, I was surprised at the number of movies that I looked at and went, yeah, I would happily watch that again. Yes, I would recommend that to people. Yes, that is something that I consider to be a good film. In fact, I don't think there was one that I thought was actively bad. The post maybe is a little bit slow, uh, but even that I thought was a a, a pretty good film. I fell asleep in the cinema watching uh, Last Crusade. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I I think just my head just went bang. It was like (laughs) this is so boring. 
I think Indiana Jones needs its own kind of discussion because those films are also currently being reconsidered. But uh, I wanted to get to this one from Sam because he in many ways reflects what you've been saying, Cam, which is a least favourite hook, all-time favourite, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So um, there you go, another one that's very like close in, in nature. And to set up our next clip, just to say, we are talking about Steven Spielberg today. It's a deep dive into his work and style. And we want to know whether you've got a favourite in his very long list of films, um, or even a least favourite, if you would like to share that number to WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. So, um, Novin says, catch me if you can uh, as a favourite, but JM is back to say, uh, and I think this is in response to our, um, are you sure there's nothing good, you know, post-2000s? <laughs> and JM says, albeit I do love Minority Report, which is from that 2000s era, but I don't think catch me if you can is as great as everyone touts it to be. It's a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10 is a decent score. But I I love Catch Me If You Can just because it's so, I think it was, it's so snappy. Um, And I think at the time that it came out as well, um, you didn't expect uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to do a movie like this. The pairing with with Tom Hanks was lovely. Um, It's such a rewatchable film. In fact, I've rewatched that a fair number of times. I, 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 um... I think that it's there's something about that movie that resonates particularly with particular people in a particular way, because there are, I've met so many people who rate it as being one of the greatest films ever. Uh, they absolutely love it. I think that it's sort of like meh, and but the the distance between my sort of meh and their di- belief that it's a great film, I think there's something inside that will speak to particular people. I'm not quite sure what it is, but there's something. Huh, now you're there. making me look inward. Well, I will add that I fall into the middle, I think, of the spectrum because I think it's a good movie. The performances are excellent. The The cinematography has that lovely kind of leans into the whole 60s vibe, right? It's that snappiness that you're talking about. And the... And, and it's well-written. It is a very well-written film. It is, however, very long. Um, and ultimately, I'm not sure that it has a lot more to say about anything. It, it speaks in some ways, Cam, um, to that occasional hollow thing that you were addressing, that it's not about things that are immediate. It's not about things that immediately matter. Um, and I found that with Catch Me If You Can, that I couldn't quite grasp um, the emotional heart of it beyond it being a caper or a crime movie or about two lonely people kind of pursuing it, the cat and mouse thing. Yeah. This is and so I was so happy when he was caught. I, I, I mean, it was like, that was the best bit. Oh, finally he's caught. He's it's a, done now. A menace to society. Good. I don't even think of it as long. So that's odd. I think the tone of it, to me, um, changes the way I remember it. This is just, I, I don't know, we, we need to explore this a little bit more. While we mull it over, we want to hear again your favourite Spielberg movies or your least favourite. Uh, that number to WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Here's a little bit of Catch Me If You Can. I'm sorry I put you through all this. You go back to Europe, you're going to die in Pepignan prison. Try to run here in the States, we'll send you back to Atlanta for 50 years. I know that. I spent four years trying to arrange your release. Had to convince my bosses at the FBI and the Attorney General of the United States you wouldn't run. Why'd you do it? You're just a kid. I'm not your kid. You said you were going to Chicago. My daughter can't see me this weekend. She's going skiing. Said she was four years old. You're lying. 
She was four when I left. Now she's 15. My wife's been remarried for 11 years. I see Grace every now and again. I don't understand. Sure you do. Sometimes it's easier living the lie. I'm going to let you fly tonight, Frank. I'm even going to try to stop you. Because I know you'll be back on Monday. Yeah. How do you know I'll come back? Look. Frank. Nobody's chasing you. Breathe freely. Malaysia. <sighs> BFM 89.9. The Business Station. FM 89.9, it's 8.32 and you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Cam. Our supercut tonight is all about Steven Spielberg. He of so many films. He of Jurassic Park, of Schindler's List, of Hook, uh, of a number of other titles that we're going to discuss and that have already come up. We want to know what are some of your favourite Spielbergs. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, um, I'm the only Indiana Jones fan in, in this setup, so I'm just going to start off by mm-hmm. saying, great theme. Uh, secondly... Suli says Indiana Jones on Twitter. Uh, Jay also says the first three Indiana Jones movies specifically. And then also adds on Catch Me If You Can, uh, The Adventures of, do we say Tantan or Tintin? I think we can say. We, we. Tantan. Okay, The Adventures of Tintin, Tantan are my all-time favourites. I watch them at least once a year. So before we get to um, The Adventures of the Uncanny Valley, uh, because I think that that one's, a, that one's important to discuss. Uh, let's talk about Indiana Jones, because these movies were so wildly popular and like spawned, you know, just so many imitators and Halloween costumes and the like. But they have been reconsidered in recent years. And I get it for good reason. So I'm not a non-fan. You sounded very much like a non-fan when I, I we did the throwback. I I'm slightly apathetic and have grown more apathetic over the years because of the sequels. Yeah, yeah, the sequels are <laughs> And then I think yeah. the rewatch of the first one didn't do so well for me when we did the throwback. Yes. Really? I love the first one. I mean, come on, it's it's such a it's such a comic strip classic kind of rattling yarn. Um <laughs> sure. I mean he, he he's stealing <laughs> wherever he goes. Which never crossed my mind. I have to say, never crossed my mind when I first watched it. He's stealing from uh, museums, Cam. How dare you? It's ethical. <laughs> Oh so yeah, sorry, sorry. Basically, a colonist is what you're saying. Uh, well, I guess if we look at it in today's light, but I mean, it was set in the 1930s. That was the kind of thing they did back then. Um, I no, it's a fantastic film. See, I absolutely hate um, Hans Zimmer. I hate any movie that has the music of Hans Zimmer because he he doesn't create music. He he's a foley artist. But one of the things, 
one of the things about Spielberg, he gets John Williams, and John Williams writes a, a, a melody, a tune that is absolutely memorable. Because if you have Hans Zimmer, it means you have no faith in your project. You do not have the courage to to put a stamp on it. Spielberg has the courage to say this movie needs to have a memorable sound, and if you know nothing else about um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know that people's faces melt at the end and you know the sound of the music. Oh, John Williams and Spielberg, I think, is is such a match made in heaven, though. I mean, so many of his memorable scores are John Williams scores. Yes. Yes, they are. And when it's not, you notice. I think that that's another thing. Yes. Um, because how, how many filmmakers nowadays have the courage to have a, a memorable theme tune to their movies. Or even necessarily so think about it in that way. Um, yeah. The impact of having that that kind of tune. Yeah. But, yeah. I think it's that, a pity that um, after the first three, which for some are diminishing returns, I always liked Last Crusade. And I think uh, that came again from watching it as a kid and therefore enjoying the rollicking nature of it. Um, I like the quest idea. So so that kind of stuff appealed to me. It didn't occur to me um, what the Holy Grail in fact was. Uh, similarly, I, I didn't get what the Ark of the Covenant was. So all of that just went straight over my head. I was just like, ooh, golden cup. you know. And, <laughs> I, and I still have that kind of childlike wonder and attachment for that film in particular. So having said that, I'm not super excited for uh, Dial of Destiny. I will watch it, of course, um, but it's, uh, I don't know, I have some hesitation. I didn't even I like, watch I Crystal, like Crystal Skull. I, I was going to say, I didn't watch it. Oh, no, it was good. Huh, good. That's the Shia LaBeouf one, That's right? the Shia LaBeouf one, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and that's the, uh, that's the thing, they go, you know, sort of, they leave Earth. <laughs> so it, it starts to get... It, it extends the Indiana Jones universe. Ah, darn it. I'm going to have to watch it now in preparation for Dial of Destiny, aren't I? I think maybe a little bit. Right. Um, speaking, by the way, of, um, you know, going to space, we've mentioned E.T. Uh, Dolly says War of the World. Uh, May also says War of the Worlds as their favourite. How do we feel about that? That's interesting because, again, a movie that didn't really get the best of reviews when it came out. In many ways, it was very true to the H.G. Wells story. It was. Which I, think, I actually love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of my favorite stories. Um, and it's really about the breakdown of society more than anything else. And it really showed that in terrifying ways. Um, I know in those days, I really didn't like um, Tom Cruise. I've grown to love him. <laughs> uh, but Dakota what Fanning... What did it for you? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it was one of the, the later Mission Impossibles... Um, yeah, probably one of those. It, suddenly it was like, oh, it makes sense. Yes, he is a, he is a, a freak of nature. He is a CGI <laughs> character. He's not, he's not a real human being. But he's perfect for the movies. Um, no, but Dakota Fanning in that, that, that War of the Worlds was, uh, was really good. I, you know, I, it was very scary, actually. Do, you, very scary. do we all think that War of the Worlds um, kind of suffered a bit from the expectation of being a Spielberg movie? Because Spielberg, Tom Cruise, yes. H.G. Wells adaptation, yes. like a bunch of expectations. Because the thing is about that film is that it's a good film and it's very rewatchable. But it doesn't, for me personally, leave like a huge imprint in my mind. Um, and I think that comes from knowing the story, having seen the story adapted in a number of ways. But if we removed, I guess, the 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 prestige that was afforded to it by like, you know, A-list director, A-list actor, I feel like it might actually have been better received. 
I mean, it would have been a different movie, but I think it might have been better received. Hmm. I liked it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't dislike it, but you're right that it didn't leave a huge impression on me. I was going to ask you, Cam, whether you liked Minority Report, because as far as Spielberg and Tom Cruise go, that's actually one of my favorite Spielberg movies. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great, it's a ripping yarn. It's it's fun, it's fun. Um, and of course it had the, you know, I mean, now it, even now I don't think it looks too archaic. Suddenly the use of the touchscreen Oh the, no! The shifting yeah, things I actually around. love yeah. revisiting it because it feels increasingly like we're living in the future that it's predicting. Mm, mm. The, and, the facial, uh, the eye recognition, and all of that. Yeah, I, I would, I would rewatch it, and um, I'm sure I'd enjoy it because because now I've grown to love Tom Cruise. So <laughs> 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 um, Vilva Rajan is mentioning a number that have already come up, including War of the Worlds, Catch Me If You Can, AI. I think the time has come to discuss the adventures of Tata. Uh, because Tintin, I, I can't I can't sustain the I can't sustain that. But Tintin was a very interesting experiment because I, I don't know if it's entirely successful. I thought the story was fun. Um, I think that the um, the Thompson twins were funny. Like, like there are elements of that movie that I thought were fine, but the dead eyes were a problem. Yeah, I think he was overreaching a bit with the, with the technology. Um, I don't think that the film managed to... It felt a little bit like Polar Express uh, with just a little bit more bells and whistles. Polar Express, by the way, is, is one of my my mother's favorite movies. Um, every Christmas time, she must watch Polar Express, um, which I haven't seen. I haven't actually watched uh, Tintin, and um, but partly, really, mainly because I I really like Tintin, <laughs> Tintin. I really like the Tintin books, um, and at the the look of those books is so particular and specific, and they're so beautiful. It, it's just like mm, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I love Asterix even more if like Spielberg had come along and done Asterix. As much as I love Spielberg, I would not watch him. I'm so um, glad that you brought up the question of the look, actually, of, of the books, because I think that there was an attempt to, to capture that, um, to, to capture the, the verve and the adventure of the Tintin world and of, you know, moving through and going on capers and like exotic locations. Um, but... I think because of the CG, everything ended up very flattened. And if anything, uh, it was an early precursor of the overlighting that we see now on Netflix. You know how Netflix movies have that particular overlit, overproduced look? Um, this movie had that plus the CGI. Oh, that's actually a really good point. So it flattens. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say that I had the same problem with the BFG, which is also Spielberg, um, which is that I'm so beholden to the way the books look in the illustrations and um, just what I thought the story of the, the book was, that watching the adaptation, I could see that it was well made. Mark Rylance was great, but just didn't really hit what I thought the book was. That may be one of the reasons why I like uh, Bridge of Spies, because I love John le Carre's books. And Bridge of Spies is not a John le Carre book, but it's in that kind of in that kind of zone mm -hmm. in that world. So he's not touching the you know the, the the actual sacred text that I love, but he's sort of playing around in that world. And and I think that in a way he's in a way he's made the best uh, film of a John le Carre book. That's not even a John le Carre book. Yes, the, I, I agree all, with that. Yeah, all the other John le Carre adaptations are pretty dreadful. You don't like um, Tinker Taylor? Oh, it's terrible. <gasps> 
Sorry. Uh, okay, oh. we'll take this off air. We'll take this off air because I feel like I feel like we I'll, we're gonna have words. I'll, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. I know. I can tell. Um, Long Long has a message for you, Cam. Hans Zimmer has Madagascar. <laughs> they they wanted you to know this that they they scored Madagascar. So there you Hans go. Zim- Hans Zimmer did Madagascar. Apparently, I haven't had time to fact check it. Long Long said it with such well, um such kind of I also didn't know raw not, trust. I was like oh. Han, Hans Zimmer wrote. I, Going to move it, move it. I'm going to move it. What, what Maybe the, was the song was someone else. It Jeez. is Hans Zimmer. Take that, Cam. <laughs> well, I meant that's. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hans Zimmer did Madagascar. Oh my gosh. Well, um, Long Long goes on to say. Can we give some credit to um, John Williams, um, the the score, yeah, the music absolutely. score director, which we we spoke about a lot. Mm. I mean, John Williams is tremendous. Sorry, interlude. Mm. I like to move it though. Was Will I Am? Okay. Uh, in collaboration okay. with Hans Zimmer? Uh, no, just his song that okay. appeared oh, in the see, film. So the only memorable bit of music from Madagascar was not even Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Thank you. I rest my case. All right. Okay. We, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry we're speaking out of turn here. We haven't really talked about Schindler's List, which oh. is probably his... Messages. You, you, you intend to? No, no, I intend to because there are messages right. on it. Uh, Legion says, I've always thought Schindler's List was the most serious film done by Spielberg because it showed the effects of war on civilians and non-combatants. Uh, for obvious reasons, it was banned in Malaysia when it was first released. Cameron said, I never got to finish Schindler's List. It's too long and too slow for me. Oh, so Schindler's List is one of my favourite Spielberg films. And I think it's because um, it was probably the earliest films I've watched that changed the way I thought about empathy and conflict and war and all of these things. Um, Also interesting because it came out right after Jurassic Park. And I think for the first time, I realized that the same person who did E.T., Jurassic Park, also made films like Schindler's List. So again, it's one of those movies that for me was very defining. But uh, would you have you watched it again? I've rewatched it about 10 years ago. And I remember still really liking it a lot. I also find it difficult to watch because it's very emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could bring myself to watch it again. I think it's a magnificent film. I actually watched it. Um, okay, so it wasn't available in Malaysia. So I got a pirate uh, video. In those days, it was VHS. And it was on four separate VHSs. And <laughs> yes, something, yes, that's how yes. my dad got it too. Right, and something happened, and I got the order of the VHSs wrong. <laughs> God. Um, completely wrong. But it made no difference whatsoever to the uh, <laughs> the structure of the film because it was just unremitting horror on, on each tape. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a great film, and it's, it's, um, it's very hard to watch. I've never seen it. Oh yeah, um, and, and this comes, I think, from the the typical thing that happens when you're told something is a great movie, but there are also so many other great movies that you haven't seen, and then it becomes something in the back of your head, like this is a thing you have to watch. And when you're free on a Sunday afternoon, it's not necessarily the one that comes to mind. I mean, I, I always sure. want to, I intend to. Um, again, I understand the reference to Schindler's List and the idea of you know making these calls, but yeah, I I, I haven't actually seen it. Cam, I think you you might want to address this. I mean, we spoke about this off air. Um, David says the color purple, love Oprah and Whoopi in it. Yeah, color purple is um, when I it was what nineteen eighty five or six when it came out, and I was like, oh, I hate Steven Spielberg; he's trashy. So because um, I'm far too cool for that kind of thing, and uh, and so I went to watch Color Purple, and 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 I knew what he was doing to me. 
And at the end of the movie, there's this very sort of stirring. Everyone starts singing. I can't remember why. And and I'm I'm in floods of tears. And I'm going, I hate you, Steven Spielberg. How <laughs> dare you do this to me? I didn't want to do. I didn't want to cry. But, but he he knows all the buttons to press. Um, and uh, but there are memorable moments in that. There's one that really does stay with me. The the I mean, he didn't write the book, of course. But when. Uh, uh, Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey character, who's always a very tough woman, and then and then she's literally beaten down. Yes, and and then forever after, a broken woman after that, and and that was very um, that's really stick, st- stuck with me. But I, I he, the, the, he, he is a monster. He is a monster. <laughs> I feel like you've just been leading to this revelation throughout the entire show. To be <laughs> no, honest, but seriously, how, how dare you do that? Because you, he, well, if you if you have that skill and you can just pull it out and then just sort of make people just be a blubbering mess when they don't want to be. Speaking of, um, although this one doesn't resonate with you so much, um, Ikwan and Ifa both say the terminal. Um, Ifa adds on, it's probably not his best work, but it's a great feel-good movie. And this one's interesting because I know what's happening. I know what Tom Hanks is doing with like his big, like hapless expressions and you know his cutesy like. Where's, what is the country even? I can't remember now. Cos- it's a- Cosgania. It's like a made-up country. Something like that, yeah. Um, And and all the rest of it, and the accent, and the Nike shoes, and all of it. Um, And yet it works, you know, in in moments where it needs to work, when they come together for him, when they're like, actually, this guy's a stand-up guy. Power to America for accepting him. Diversity. I'm like, yeah, beautiful. They never accept him. They, the people of the airport, which is a yes. microcosm of the United but then, States. But the actual commentary is that actual United States didn't accept him. Well, that's in the form of Stanley Tucci, yes. who's playing a remarkably jerky character in the way that only Stanley Tucci can. The Terminal is an example of the kind of movie that I don't think will get made anymore for us to watch in the cinema. And that's a real pity because I also don't think it's his best work, but it's so rewatchable and it's so much fun to watch okay well i i will persevere i'll persevere <laughs> what really what put me off was like i just don't want to see spielberg um try to do anything about foreigners it's not that kind it's of not movie. that kind of movie yeah it, it doesn't do that to this krakosian by the way uh ah. we, we've had the ah. info fed to us yeah Krakosia. it's also more a tom hanks movie than it is a spielberg movie i would say i think it's a hanks a hanks tucci hanks movie, tucci movie yeah. yes mm-hmm. Um, Rowan says, top films, Indiana Jones, Jurassic World, Hook, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, Saving Private Ryan. But now I'm wondering if it would work if not for the cast, especially Tom Hanks. Oh, that's such a good point. No, you can't discount the cast. I mean, Spielberg has worked hard to always have the best cast. And he's a very good director of actors. Yes, yes, I agree. He gets great performances. He knows how to film them correctly. That's that is one of the reasons why we keep returning to Spielberg. So the cast is it, you can't just say, "Oh, he got lucky with his cast." No, no, no. He, that's that's built-in skill. Rowan also says, "Cam, how can you hate Hans Zimmer?" I but, hate Hans Zimmer. I know. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I read I that knowing, <laughs> knowing that it was going to evoke that reaction. Uh, Rowan goes on to say, "Can we do a supercut on movie original soundtracks?" Which I think would be very fun. Oh, that would be oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure, sure. We yeah, will. More, We'll play five minutes. Five minutes of Hans Zimmer. No! (laughs) 
I'll dedicate it the to you. The crashing Cam. Dunkirk <laughs> song on the beach. That song, pula. The music. The, 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 the one that, yeah. like, you're like, oh my god, when is this going to end? Yes. Anyway, it'll uh, be just for you, Cam. <laughs> yeah, but t- today though, we're talking about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> To bring it back, Alvin says, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is one of his best films. Even with today's CGI advancements, that movie is very rewatchable for me personally. The storytelling, the spectacle, it makes you feel the awe on the first watch. It is epic. There are certain, I mean, you, you mentioned that the music, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. It, isn't that so simple? But when you hear it, when, they, when they've, they've set up the, 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 the landing site and they're playing that, it, it, it has this mesmerizingly epic quality to it, as, as if these simple sounds are, are are the key to the universe. And um, and he's able to imbue small things like that with with that epic quality. It's, it's very clever. I love this message of love from Sue, who says, Steven Spielberg knows how to hook his audience. He is a genius storyteller and his stories are so great. He's not a noun to me. He's a verb. I was introduced to Steven Spielberg uh, through Schindler's List. His genius is in so many genres. And although some of his movies do slide a bit, I feel that he's an extraordinary filmmaker. He just wants to tell the world great stories and he definitely succeeded. So I think like... I think I agree with you. That's that's actually what I was trying to get at with the whole. I don't think there are many movies of his that I wouldn't rewatch very happily. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with the sentiments there. I, I wouldn't, I would not rewatch Hook though. Honestly, absolutely not. I actually think I might have rewatched Hook more than five or six times, but that's because my sister and I used to watch it and then pretend to be like Rufio and throw food at each other and things like that. But but Jurassic Park is your number one rewatched. Spielberg's probably yes. Uh, for me, it would be Bridge of Spies, and I and and I could do it. I could do it again now. Lynn, are you a, have you rewatched any more than? Others? Oh, I've rewatched Jurassic Park. Sorry, Cam. Um, <laughs> so many times. I've rewatched Jaws actually loads of times. I love that movie. I think that the the pacing and I don't mm. know. Every time I watch that movie, I just think, man, this is a good movie. So, Shakespearean. Yeah, actually, yes, exactly that. Um, Shakespearean. If you know, it ends with like dudes paddling back to shore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love, I love, love, love Jaws. Um, and I've watched Bridge of Spies a couple times. I do plan to watch it more because I find that it's a... That one's very rewatchable. Sharmila hasn't watched I've it. I've actually and, never watched yeah. Bridge of Spies. Um, and it's one of those... I think, that's, I think you'd like it. I mm. think I would oh. too because I actually really like Steven Spiel, uh, Spielberg thrillers. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is a thriller, but it's a it's a slow burn, that one. Yeah. It's, it's very fun. Um, Jane says, was The Poltergeist a Spielberg movie? So I had to look this one up. He wrote it. He wrote it. He didn't direct it. Yes, that's true. Uh, he wrote uh, he wrote and produced it. So I think it depends on what you consider. Because some people will always say that the movie is the screenwriter's credit. Some this people credit things to the screenwriter more so than the director. So Jane, depends. Uh, Faisal says, Empire of the Sun, Christian Bale, method acting as a boy. Nice one. That's a nice mm, one. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to put Christian Bale in the same camp as Hans Zimmer. Oh, oh! I, I am. I am not. Five am minutes not, before the end of the show, can yeah, can no, opens another can Christian of Bale is the greatest actor of all time. I would say Tom Hanks is. is I mean, I'd, he's so much more watchable as an actor um, than Christian Bale. I think we we're owed another supercut, which is just like Cam's opinions, and and then we fight <laughs> for like an hour. <laughs> there's there's so much to unpack. Um, by the way, hey checks, uh, we have. 
more people just very offended about this Hans Zimmer thing because HX says Hans Zimmer did Lion King. No, Elton John did. Elton John did Lion King. What are you talking about? Can you feel the... That is not Hans Zimmer. Are we talking about the 20-whatever version of Lion King? Is that the reference? The 20-whatever? The the, the live action. Oh, the live... Oh, which we don't That's not a credit to Hans Zimmer. (laughs) I think the live action one, though. I think that's the reference, though, right? Because I, I, there's no way he did, you know, the 1990, is it? 1990, 19-something Lion King. The the original animated version. Yeah, and the next person who sort of says, "Oh, but Hans Zimmer did Sharknado." I mean, that doesn't—it doesn't prove anything. I'm sorry. He did score the live-action remake. There, called it. Yeah, uh, which you can tell because it was. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Bombastic in in ways that it maybe didn't need to be. Um, yep, says Shamila, you do the voice. Elliot. Did I get it? My my slight sore throat, I think, works. I don't know. I, I haven't watched it in so long that I didn't trust myself to do the impression. And then I know so little that I don't know if that was a good impression. <laughs> sorry, I did this yep, to you. I'm sorry if I misread your message. Well, it's an E.T. So, reference. <laughs> at the age of 55, having not watched it, should I watch it? I think yes. Can I have a question? Um, we don't have actually that long left, but I, I think my question maybe will help to guide your decision. I don't know if, uh, how much of a tolerance do you have for shrill 80s children? Because I've established that I don't have one. Like I cannot be doing with these shrill, you know, children of the 80s. And because of that, E.T. does not, I don't want him to so phone E.T. Home. kids surprisingly not shrill. Just a very Still adorable shrill. Drew Barrymore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I, I. You didn't help at all in in, in deciding me. Sorry. Ah, uh, so uh, we've we have been. Children. I have been corrected though uh, that Hans Zimmer did the score for Lion King. Elton John did the songs. Yeah, the only memorable bit is the songs, not the score. Oh, it's like oh, do you know the score to Lion King? No, no one knows the score to Lion King. Okay, Ajax <laughs> does say. It added a lot of depth, especially when God Mode Mufasa spoke to Simba. So Mufasa in the sky. I, I think that that's the reference. I agree. That is actually a very good scene. I'm not as much of a hater of Hans Zimmer as Cam is. It's a good scene, but did the music make it? <laughs> I reserve judgment until I rewatch it. Can you feel the... <laughs> Such a tuneful hater today. Um, by the way, Yep went on to say... Um, Steven Spiel- Spielberg's sublime message, we will remember him, which um, I-, I think oh, is great, on, but he's bad. he's fine. Yeah, he's <laughs> still making still making films. He's still got other films in production. Um, more, pe- more people coming in to say, Hans Zimmer did do original Lion King. So clearly the soundtrack <laughs> supercut of the future. He's very popular. I know he's very popular. He's very popular with younger people as well. Sriram also says Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack and Circle of Life. So a lot of a lot of Zimmerites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Elton John did do the songs. <laughs> that part's not wrong. No, but yeah. I think that the the how dare you say that Hans Zimmer did nothing or only that this is only true. did Madagascar. I apologize. Google let me down in my two minute quick research. Yeah. I will. I will yet save people from the cult of Hans Zimmer. I will set you free, people. Uh, and and you will have free will again. EJP says Pirates of the Caribbean, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> okay, we're pirates, finishing out. Spielberg. Though, is a great theme. Pirates has a great theme. I will say that. 
Actually, in the dying seconds, has anybody actually managed to get to the end of Spielberg's West Side Story? Yes. Yes. Um, oh. I'm actually quite a fan of West Side Story by Spielberg, so I, I quite happily did. Lynn was on the fence, if I remember correctly. Well, I, I, I thought, hated it. I thought that it was a, a good movie. It's just really long. I mean, I know the original was long too, but I, th- I thought it was really long. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't manage to get to the end. I mean, I, I love the original. Um, I kept wondering, how come when they're singing and then they stop? And then, and then they must take a bus, go to the next location, <laughs> get off the bus, rearrange themselves, do the next two lines, then get a taxi. Did you not have the these questions location. with the original? No, because the, all the originals, the, 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 the songs were all shot as uh, singular moments. This is true. Okay, mm. I'm going to have to interject here because we have indeed taken the dying moments to talk about West Side Story. We are officially okay. out of time. And perhaps um, that's a good one for a filmmaker whose films are running increasingly longer. So we've been talking today about Steven Spielberg on our Supercut. Thank you so much for listening. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.